Hey guys, Capital One knows you've got questions about your credit. You may be asking, who's really in charge of my credit score? How does my credit actually work? That's why Capital One created the CreditWise app, so you can check your credit score anytime you want, right in the app. And here's the thing, it's free to everyone, Capital One customer or not. In fact, millions of CreditWise users have improved their score by 20 points or more. So download the app for free today. Availability depends on presence of credit history from TransUnion. CreditWise is offered by Capital One Bank USA. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk, now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Andy Greenwald. I have no official title at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, live from Philadelphia, it's the CGI version of his younger self, it's Chris Ryan. What's up, man? Live from Planet Hoss, the 215. I got all my Kirby Puckett and Goodfellas posters on my childhood bedroom wall. Wow. What better setting than to go full nostalgia and talk about Star Wars? I just hope that you have a nice Tauntaun carcass to just wiggle yourself into later and snuggle up. <laughs> That's my mom's specialty. Yo, we got to talk about... The Irish Jews make Tauntaun really well. Yeah, well, you know, because they use the offcuts. You know, it's traditionally, <laughs> you know, they would take like the loins and the, uh, you know, the, the, the heartier tauntaun steaks would go to the upper classes. But, you know, we people, we had to survive. We made stews. That's right. Slow braises. That's right. Isn't that exciting that you, I was going to start talking about Rogue One, but you took me to a place that I'm much more interested in talking about, which is fictional cookery. So, oh, that doesn't bode well. No, no, no. We're ready to talk about Rogue One. I am literally fresh from the theater. I just came yeah, from the theater. Yeah, I, I saw it Thursday night at 10, 15 screening. Wow. At the lovely uh, ArcLight in Los Angeles. I think you just went this morning. I did. I, I, um, I, just, I just exited the ArcLight 20 minutes ago. I am, I'm ready to go, man. I got to just set the tone for one second before we get into it, before okay. we even get in officially into the movie. I, I know people like local color, and I just want to let you know that my last experience, I saw the movie, the credits rolled, the music's playing, I walk out, make a pit stop in the restroom like all X-Wing fighters have to do from time to time, and there were two, <laughs> there were two older gentlemen in there. Now I know, before anyone else says it, older than us. And uh, they were in there talking. They loved it. They were like, that was really good. They were like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. One guy was like, it had comedy, too. Made, made you laugh sometimes. And the other guy was like, it did. It did. And then one guy was like, and it led right into the first Star Wars movie. The other guy was like, you know what? It really did. It did. And then he was like, he was like what, which is the movie where he, uh, he defeats him? Which is the movie where he defeats uh, Darth Vader? Is that the second one or the third one? And there's a pause, and they, one of the guys scratched his goatee, and the guy said, it's the second one, right? It's the second one, because in the third one, he fights the guy with a multicolored face. What's that dude's name? And the other guy was like, Darth Maul. And they were like, that's right. Now, there have been moments... Here's the thing, Andy. What you don't know? Yeah. They were talking about Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Chris, there have been times during this dark year of 2016 when I have worried about the state of the common man, worried about our American brothers. Maybe, you know, there was this idea um, of the, the low-informed low, low voters. This was the moment where I actually got worried. When the prequels okay, so went into this canon. is actually a good place to start with Rogue One because it's interesting. You found yourself in a, a, a bathroom with two <laughs> gentlemen scratching their goatees. Two gentlemen of Verona. I, the end of Rogue One made me ski jump into the sun. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that's how I, it made me feel. Yeah. And even though it's been a few days now, yeah. and even though in the first hour I was, I had, I was making my little... My, my, my little post-its of, of little complaints. Sure. I like to send to Kathleen Kennedy and, Me too. Yeah, and yeah. Bob Iger. And then, and then the last 45 minutes yeah. of that movie happened. Yep. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm sorry I led on a low note. Here, here, here was the shocking thing. 
for me about this movie. The tentpole, big franchise, big IP thing has become so stale, and we've become so used to it. And generally, the way that these things go is they're pretty good for you know 80, 90 minutes. Then they turn to shit. They fall apart because it's just mm-hmm. robots punching or whatever. This inverted it. I got to tell you, yep. get your post-it notes ready for the second half of this podcast because the first part of this movie is kind of a mess. The last part is dope as fuck. There's no no getting around it. And 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 I have to think, I mean, we've we've ha- we've never covered a movie as extensively as we covered this one. We 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 went deep on the trailer, which remains my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. We've talked about what it might mean that Tony Gilroy was brought on, that your man Gareth with uh, Gareth Edwards was apparently taken off. We know nothing. We have no inside knowledge, but I can't help but assume that Michael Clayton, the fixer, came in for the first part of the movie, and that the part we got at the end was all Gareth, right? Because that was the war movie. And let me say, this was not PG-13. Sorry, Ghost of Jack Valenti. This is not a PG-13 movie, because everybody dies. Yeah, well, you know, it's like they had a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this one, but at the very end, all the cooks were like, let's make some Don Don. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody started rowing in the same direction. And even right. though, I mean, there's been some pretty extensive online scholarship already. Uh, I love saying scholarship. scholarship. Like, a blog post constitutes, like, a road scholar, you know, reading the Canterbury Tales. Um, there's been a lot of uh, work online about how there's stuff in the trailer, especially stuff on the beach raid from yeah. the last 30, 40 minutes that's just not in the movie. And it suggests that they, one of the major reshoot you know, questions that they had, or one of the major topics for the reshoot, was obviously uh, how it ended. Because, uh, and we can get to that part, but I, I do want to talk a little bit, um, because you brought up, IP brought up like the way these things are working now. Yeah. Um, this is, this this movie uh, I have to be completely honest, made me feel like I was eight years, eight years old in all the best ways, you know, uh, not in the, how do you make friends ways, but, <laughs> but like only the good stuff. And, um, you know, I think that the first time you see Darth Vader, there's, there's, and he has like his one liners and you're kind of like, okay, great. I'm glad, glad like, you know, Nick Kroll got in, uh, you know, like a, a, a screenplay polish on this or yep. whatever happened. But, um, when Darth Vader's like throwing dudes around the hallway with his mind, yep. Yeah. And the beginning of New Hope, they reshoot the beginning of New Hope, and yeah. you're kind of like feeling the way the page is literally turning. It kind of is the best possible use of the actual idea of like what a sequel could be. Well, it, it also, dare I say it, the movie felt like it had stakes. And the reason it felt yeah. like it had stakes is because there's not going to be a Rogue 2. And this movie is no. very unique because by being part of the, you know, the expanded Star Wars universe, a Star what, Wars story what if or whatever. What was just like dust blowing around? <laughs> yeah, on corpses? Yeah. I think that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like yeah, it's like part of the Cremaster cycle or something. Lars Von Exactly. Mads Mikkelsen is around. He's available. Yeah. And by the way, he looks great. Wow, what a leading man yeah. he was with his, with his weird man bun. Um, speaking of... I just want to know the note when they were like, Riz Ahmed, we love you, Night Of. You're terrific. We love your career. We love what you bring to it. But can can we just get you the Lin-Manuel Miranda hair? Can you just get the Hamilton just just head transplant? Because that was working yeah. for him. Um, yeah. Though it, it, was, it had stakes because 
people could die. And that is such a weird thing to say, especially as someone who generally does not like when movies just pull the death card or, or go dark to try to get us to react. But it was truly, truly shocking for a movie, a tentpole action movie set in a very lucrative franchise universe to be able to say, nope, not everything has a happy ending. Not everything works yeah, out. Yeah, and I think that's despite what Michael uh, Giacchino's score is yes. trying to tell us throughout the movie. And I, I thought it was really interesting because there is obviously a tug of war over what to do with this. Gareth Edwards obviously pitched this movie and sold this movie or was sold this movie by Disney and Lucasfilm as this idea that we're going to make a, a Star Wars war movie. And even though there's obviously been war in every other Star Wars it's, movie. It's right there in the title, my dude. This, Right yeah, he wanted to approach this via like, you know, this is this is the longest day or the you know the great escape of 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 Star Wars movies or the Zero Dark Thirty of Star Wars movies or the Saving Private Ryan of Star Wars movies. Those are all movies I've seen him reference in interviews, and obviously that requires there to be casualties of war. But for as dark as the film gets, especially in its third act. They try as hard as they can to soften the blow in yes. places. So I think that's why you get the PG-13. And that was, you know, I, I almost feel like this movie plays darker as a silent film. Yeah. Because if you don't have uh, K2SO's one-liners and you don't have um, the sort of typical fanfare score... If you have, like, one piano plink, you know, playing through this, if it's, like, the hunger preview, I mean, you're going to have, like, a completely different experience. I wanted to ask you whether or not you felt like, you know, there were obviously worse stakes, but, and I I think that we can kind of, like, go back and forth here between Mm -hmm. good and bad. But one thing I've been reading about, you know, in terms, this is an interesting movie. A lot of people having a lot of different reactions, a lot of people loving, not loving. But one consistent criticism, I saw this in A.O. Scott's review, is just like, it's great that there are stakes, but I didn't care about the characters because of all the Frankenstein's monster plot business that yes. happens in the first hour. I, so where, where where were you at when it came to I'm emotionally committed to the, Felicity Jones in, at, at the end of this movie? The, the first half of the movie is a mess, and I think that he, here here's here's a, here's a shocker into your shocker. In order to criticize Rogue One, I'm going to say something positive about Westworld. If Westworld okay. has given us anything, it really did give us a, a, a tool to describe the way Hollywood thinks about our entertainment, which is if you give someone a tragic backstory, then they are believable as humans. And sure. I, I don't know how much of that was in the original script. I do know that this is a rebellion. I rebel is not in the movie. And the thing about rebellions being based on hope, which is corny times a million, is in the movie three times. Um the, by I understand the Save the Cat, Robert McKee screenwriting 101 that foregrounded who she was as a kid. Although, come on, Star Wars, haven't you learned not to have kids? Like, we don't need, didn't Phantom Menace teach us anything? But Yeah, to, I mean, to, like, just make it, I, I mean, actually, the, the, one of the things I love so much about the A, a New Hope is that it's, it's not a, a child who's right. innocent and is, is looking at the world uh, with star, stars in their eyes. It's a, an annoyed sort of punkish teenager yes you know and, and and so i think that by i understand why they gave us that fraught flashback backstory but that was put in place of giving us any reason to understand who she is as an adult so instead we just know that she's in prison and we know that forrest whitaker thinks that she's uh the greatest soldier he's ever seen but forrest whitaker is huffing on that gas more than steve martin in little shop of horrors so i don't really That's know right. how much of what he says can be can be believed so we actually so it begins the problem begins at the top we understand her motivation because we've seen every movie ever made, but we don't know who she is. Now, that doesn't apply right. to every character, 
but they're so eager to get moving. And then, you know, they had this amazing set piece at the end that it's based on how much we care about these people. That, like, when Donnie Yen, who steals the movie, by the way, shows up, we don't know his name. We don't know why they're so cool with just riding away with them. We don't know their reaction to the destruction of the city in which they lived in. You know, it's... Right, and she's wearing this necklace, which sort of suggests, you know, her mother gives her this necklace that suggests that there is a connection between her and the Force, but she doesn't have the Force. And I know that Gareth Edwards has been like, there is no Force, really. Nobody has the Force in this movie, although obviously they brought Darth in. And, you know, clearly some of... For, for the most part, I mean, Felicity Jones is able to do what she does on that sort of landing platform yeah. on the mining planet that uh, that they're on, where which you know that's that's quite a climb up that ladder she makes <laughs> in the rain uh, too. The force would help in the rain, yeah. Um, and, and by yeah, the way, I, I think that unlike unlike Ben Bloodline Mendelssohn, she doesn't have any of that M- Imperial Gore-Tex on. You know, she doesn't yeah. have any breathable fabric, so that was impressive. And I think that there's there's something missing there where Diego Luna. F- flips from yeah you know you, you don't know anything about my life to i got your back 100 let's go into the but, suicide but, but you, you can see the scraps of that story because we first meet him he shoots a dude in the back so he's not a and good they play that off they, the, yeah, they the, play like, off. the exit music to that is like it's like he x's out a snitch that got that got noted to death but there's the bones of it. We, I mean, I just yeah, that's my yeah, guess. Yeah. That is that is literally the Han shoots first of the whole thing writ large, right? Like we meet him, and he's not necessarily a good guy. We we basically are introduced to a rebellion that is becoming as much of a bureaucracy and governed by fear and half measures as the Empire. And then we're sort of built up to this moment where where Diego brings his homies, and it's just like we've done some gutter ass shit, and we are ready to yeah. redeem ourselves. That is a through line that must have been in the pitch. Like I, I, you know, I never want to speak ill of the god Tony Gilroy, but my assumption is that maybe the movie was better. It was just too gnarly. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there's always the stories so are always more complicated. Here's my read on it. I think that the first 20 minutes. I I'm, I think, and I could be completely wrong, because if you were going to reshoot something, you'd probably have a note where it was like, we need to know her backstory, and we need to care about her as a child. So while I could imagine this being reshot, I think that the first 20 minutes on whatever planet that's on, uh, is, that's not Jetta, is it? She's When she's on like the kind of dark Irish planet with like the dark, dark soil as a child... The Dark Irish Planet, otherwise known as Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. I think that that is Gareth Edwards's like vision. You know, like that. It's incredibly stark. The cinematography is rich. It's it's a it's a unique, dense worldview. Yeah. And then as we start planet hopping, and as they start There's needing so much to hopping. throw cryons on everything, so that you know, and now we're on this planet. Now we're going to this planet. And I was funny. You know, last night when I got into Philly. I fired up a little Force Awakens, and I hadn't watched that in a while. And that has a lot of the same issues. Yes, it does. Whether it's, like, because it's screenwriting as bullpen or what, there's just, like, what are you, what? Like, Max von Sydow is in the first scene, and, like, they need this thing that, but, like, why, why was it such an effort to find this thing? So Oscar Isaac has to go to this planet, but then he leaves the planet, and he escapes thing, and he goes back to the planet, but then he gets captured. I mean, it's just, like, so confusing, and it's so, it literally has, like, a lot of that same, like, I flew to this other planet to tell a guy something. Can I um can I make it just a just a general suggestion just like for for all imperial forces and rebellion fighters? I think yeah. if you can have sentient droids, you could probably invest in the cloud. You know what I mean? If you can if you got like you don't yeah, hyperspace. 
space. Like, my man, you, know? you can travel light speed without even worrying about it. Like, you can probably go wireless. You probably don't need a thumb drive to save the yeah, universe. Yeah, right. I don't know. Right. And I don't that, want to tell okay, you what's so up. We're, we're nitpicking here, but you know what's interesting is that you can hear in our voices there's, like, a little bit of extra English on our fastball today, and that's just because this movie does throw a battery in your back. Yeah, look, the end, when you realize that it's really going to go there, and the movie does a pretty interesting feint, I think, at the end, when the first person to go down like a hero is the robot. And that was the moment yeah. where I was like, so that's all that's going to happen. Like, where they're going to save the day. Also, the most lovable character in the movie. Great, so. great character. Great, well done. Yeah. Like, they actually, all of those characters that they get together on the ship, that's really well done. Like, those are very well drawn, amazingly cast, really enjoyable characters. That I And to do that in that short of time is impressive. I just, you needed more of that and less of all the other business, you know? You just needed, you just needed less of it. Yeah, and I think that um, what you see is... I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that there's something about that middle section where they do have the, like, she has to make peace with her father bit. Right. And I think that Galen might be uh, one of the characters that they wrestled with, because this is essentially a guy who says, I'm going to create a genocidal yeah. weapon of mass destruction um, because I'm afraid that the Empire might find my daughter at some point. Which they're going to do like anyway, right. It, yeah, it, and it's real. So it's really unclear as to what what is happening with him. And I, I think that his comeback middle of the movie with the hologram, which is like a Star Wars staple, obviously, yeah. and that that engages her sort of uh, sentimentality about the whole mission. But you know, just like the, we you know, I like all the interscene fighting within the rebellion, and I think they did that better than they than Lucas yeah. did in the prequels, where it's just like mind boggling oh, center procedures for, and stuff. For sure. And, and you know, the other thing that it did better than, I want to say in some ways better than the original trilogy, which is it made magic or the force, whatever you want to call it, feel special. As you were saying, there wasn't much of it in it, but it also felt religious and almost supernatural, right? It, based in Donnie Yen's character, based in the sort of um, faith in something that might not even work anymore, based ultimately not in believing in something, but believing in each other. I mean, all of that was laced through that pretty elegantly. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really liked about Force Awakens, but I think that could be used as a criticism against it, is that it kind of had a feeling of being made by people who made up their own Star Wars stories with toys. You know, right. and, and I mean that in the best possible way. It, it There's multiple scenes. There's Oscar Isaac talking to John Boyega in the beginning of the movie when they're in the TIE fighter, and he's like, I've always wanted to fly one of these. Yeah. They're reenacting scenes from the original trilogy throughout the film. And I, I think it had a lot of... Um, it wasn't just fan service. It was a love letter to fandom. This movie had a similar vibe because... But it was a little bit more pure because this is the kind of story where if you paid attention to the crawls at the beginning of, of, of these movies, there are lots of tidbits of information. And Jason Concepcion and Ben Lindbergh did a great uh, speculative piece about what uh, other sort of tidbits could be left around the Star Wars galaxy that people could feast on. But this, this you know, is literally something where it's like, well, how do they get the plants? Is that it, seems crazy. But isn't it, uh, isn't what, it hard to just sort of... I, I, I feel like this is a little sour grapes, but I, I, I can't help but think, what if? And what if this movie was made by a multinational billion-dollar conglomerate that was comfortable with something as radical as uh, Galen Erso being a bad guy, who then yeah. has second thoughts at the end? 
The movie. Well, then it would have. I honestly think it needed to come out after episode eight, and maybe even after Han Solo. The problem that I think that they ran into, and this is just speculation, but the problem they ran into is they just did not have the the Quan yet. They just. I know that Force Awakens is the most successful movie that ever came out, but the franchise, franchise, because franchises can teeter one way or the other, yeah. and I think that's why, in terms of the order these films were coming out, if we wanted, uh the version of the movie that probably was in Gareth Edwards' head. And you know what? We give Gareth Edwards an, a, an enormous amount of credit. I don't know. Maybe he just literally didn't get it, Like, which is another reason why reshoots happen is like they come back, mm-hmm. they go to the editing room, and they're like, you don't have it. We need something else. Yeah. But for, for in, in, in the case of the movie that we think he wanted to make and the movie that we sort of envision in our heads, I think that movie needed to come out in 2018 or 19, and episode eight needed to come out before that, so that you would have had basically back-to-back blockbuster movies with these characters that everybody loves, and there's just so much momentum for the franchise, and then you make the weird movie that's just straight up like, this girl's dad built the Death Star, and then she had to spend her life correcting his error. Not just spend her life, burn her life, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk. Let's do a little cast rundown because I want to get your thoughts on that before we go back to the big picture stuff. Yeah, should we take a quick break from our sponsor before we do that? Whoa, that's a great idea! All the way from Philly, he's running <laughs> the podcast. Let's do that. Hey guys, let's talk for a minute. I know some of you are uh, job creators, small business owners, culture disruptors. Maybe you're hiring. If you are, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates, not anymore. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes. That is a lot of resumes. You can search through it in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make it the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. Man, I need a team. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, and you can do it all with a single click. ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll on in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. There's no juggling emails. There are, there's no multiple calls to your office. You can quickly screen candidates. You can rate them and hire the right person fast. If you have any issues, ZipRecruiter's friendly support staff is ready to help. Here's the thing. That support staff, human beings, not a robot situation here, so you know I'm into it. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. ZipRecruiter has been featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, The New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS. ZipRecruiter's website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches to help you find the best person. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com watch. That's ZipRecruiter.com watch. Hey, one more time. Try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash watch. That's our podcast. Get the right people. Uh-oh, it's time to talk about Sonos. I feel like listeners know how I feel about Sonos, and Chris feels the same way, but we got to remind you about it. You know Sonos. It is the smart speaker system. It streams all your favorite music to any room, or get this, every room. You can control your music with one simple app from your phone or tablet, and you can fill your home with pure, immersive sound. It brings you all your music in one app. I cannot stress this enough. I've got three. I've got them in different rooms. I'm, I, you know, I belong to Spotify. I belong to Apple Music. I don't even have a Pono player, but I might even be on there. But here's the point. 
I don't need to go to each individual service. I just search through the Sonos app and it finds the music I need. It pulls it all together and I can play it in different rooms. That's the one simple app. It brings together all of it in any room or every room all at once. You could play a different song in the living room. Maybe I'll play Paul Simon in there. You could play a different song in the bedroom. Hey, bedroom, Daddy Yankee would sound great. Even in your bathroom. And I'm not even going to suggest anything. Everyone needs their own experience. Or you can just play the same track in every room. You can add your existing music services or discover something new with Sonos. Okay, we are back. This is the Rogue One podcast. Uh, Chris, let's do a rundown of the cast, because this has to be one of the most impressive ever assembled, certainly one of these movies, maybe in a tentpole movie in a while. Yeah, absolutely. So should we start with, why don't we start with the, the, the dark side, my brother? Yeah, do you, want, do you want to talk about nicotine stained teeth director Orson Krennic? <laughs> <laughs> I love that that dude's um, name was his title was director. That's that's such that a subtweet. To wear the white cape. I, I, first of all, the, I just love. I, I mean, I shouldn't joke because we're very close to this in this country as well. But like when people are just like, "Fuck it, I'm wearing capes." You know what I mean? Like yeah, that. That's we're, what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, right. I I was kind of hoping that in there, there's like a cut scene from like you know one of those scenes when they're all like in the the Empire yeah. boardroom watching the test and somebody just goes up to him afterwards and just like nice cape dog yeah seriously but also it's not just cape <laughs> nice cape my g <laughs> he, he, he he had to go to the north face outlet in the death star and be like can you accessorize this because i plan to going to some pretty ill temperatures like some pretty pretty weird climates like i'm fully gonna have staff meetings in a monsoon for no reason yeah no reason just bring everybody outside like come to me come to where the weather is you know mendelssohn had very little to do when you really think about it but he seethed. He carried the screen. I was fine with him. Yeah, I thought that he had. There was probably like more they could have colored in there with um, this idea that this guy, you know, like ambition in that world where you're dealing with these all powerful beings, mm-hmm. ambition has a ceiling and a consequence. And, you know, we could sit here and, and talk all day about the reanimated Peter Cushing. Um, uh, we, I have basically we, we everybody I know. Who, uh, who saw the movie agrees that, that it would have been great if they had just had a shot of Tarkin through the yeah. off the window reflection. But the idea of making him like a full on like character, like hanging out is, is pretty wild. Um, also, but because the, but, you know, the, so the whole can I just jump in just to say, because it doesn't work like he, he's like the BFG from the Spielberg movie. You know, it, it's the uncanny valley. Yeah, really it, takes you like out, it takes you out of the movie and it just bums me out that like, what is our fate on this planet? It's just to become Muppets. Like, it's just fucking to become digital cartoon Muppets. Like, that is, just because you can do it, check yourself. You don't need to do it. Like, there weren't enough people, there weren't enough dorks, like, high-fiving each other. I'm including myself in this, in the theater, because they got the man (laughs) with the most sunken cheeks in history resurrected through some digital fuckery. Like, you don't need to do it. 11 days left in this year, and you're still out here just raging against robots. I just, (laughs) yo, just, just don't do it. Also, like... Let let it let some like sunken faced English actor eat. There must be a dude who's like, I got the cheekbones, I got the hollowed out eyes. I'm mean. Let me do that. Okay, go on. Well, be that as it may, I thought that that was there was an interesting uh, the, the life and times of like what it must be like to be middle management in the empire. Yeah, was was a really cool thing. I yeah, and and I thought that the last shot of him was was phenomenal of him just sort of seeing the death star merge yeah. and knowing what's going to happen is just it's so crazy and that's what uh, edwards does so well is scale we've talked about this a bunch yes. of times in the lead up to the movie it's just his ability to be like imagine the death star emerging on the horizon no, let's, that's insane it, it's also insane but 
insanely perfect for this series. The one, there are a couple things, but one of the things that Star Wars just as a franchise, and we're, we're not talking about the prequels here at all, but the, the, the first three movies and then even Force Awakens did this too. They do better than any of the other major, major IP tickets is this sense of scale. And, you know, partly it's because they, you know, they it usually, I mean, obviously it's changed a lot, but they've eschewed like major, major CGI stuff. They've done a lot of stuff, made it more physical, made it more grounded. Even J.J. Abrams did that, even though he sprinkled lens flare on top of it. There are moments like when you see the Imperial Walkers that are still can take your breath away. There are moments that I loved in this, like when we saw the Watchtower, just that dude on the Watchtower at the Rebel base. That's yeah. a wonderful shot. It's a wonderful. It's continuity yeah, even from the original. Yeah, by that same token, the, the we we complained about Cushing, but I gotta admit, I was pretty psyched to see Red and Gold Leader. <laughs> no, that's true. I did like that too. And but how about the fact that did we you are... notice who the uh, the X Wing pilot who is sort of the lead X Wing pilot was? No, it's Claire Underwood's boyfriend from House of Cards. Whoa, whoa. Let's let's just take it down a peg. What? This is set yeah, in the larger your boy, the photographer. This whole thing is set in the larger Underwood expanded universe. Do you yes, think that's true? Yes, this is what happens if Frank Underwood stays president. <laughs> well, that's that's also weirdly prescient. No, I just want to say, like, for as much as we're we're going to be talking about this movie in and of itself, but I just think it's worth noting that it's not just that most uh, tentpole movies collapse on themselves in the end into just total visual incoherence. This movie made sense visually it the 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 battle the infantry the space battles where people were flying what they were flying from and to i could track it with my with my yeoman's eyes you know that was that is no small thing that is very elegant elegantly designed and i found that very impressive but did you think yeah, did you did, so, did you uh, like else on the dark side that you want to mention before we jump to the the good guys and w- was there anyone else on the dark side i mean i i i, I, I i'm anti darth i'm anti darth vader I, I the last scene of course I think was amazing because it fit in with your anti Darth Vader, like just being in this movie. Well, the end made sense to me because at the end, everything I was saying before about how the force is sort of supernatural to these people, when you see what someone is capable of and that wholesale slaughter, like that fueled, you know, that went into the first, first movies in a way that made a lot of, uh, made a lot of sense. When he first comes out, he looked a little bit like Rick Moranis in Spaceballs to me. Like it's just, that was fucking, did you notice whoever plays the act? Like, like they gave him a little bit of like a a, a weird walk. Yeah, it's just it, it it just didn't work for me. It just was like a it, it just felt like a stunt to see him, you know, with his with his shiny suit. It just, you know, it, I I wasn't super into that. But more impressive to me was with, with the good guys. Can we get into the good guys for a second? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Can we talk about my boy Diego? Diego yeah. Diego Luna Cassian. brought it. He was so, yeah. so good. And it was so exciting to see a, a strong, surprising actor cast in a role that is basically written for Chris Evans, you know, or, or Chris yeah. Pratt or someone named Chris. And, and, and it's, it goes beyond the ethnicity of the actor, which I also thought, thought is something to stand up and cheer about. But he's, he, he, catch, he catches you off guard. He comes at the part differently. He's a little bit, he's, he's not built the same way. So I'm immediately invested into in wondering who this guy is and what he has to do. And he managed to make a performance that navigated that obvious gap in the middle of it that explained his motivations, right? Yeah, he managed also to project a world weariness and a cynicism and a kind of just a beaten down quality that I think um, is really difficult to transmit because it's not necessarily there on on the page. It, it, it's more just like when he kills that informant, it's it, he has an expression on his face. It's like I've done this before, yep. and I'm really tired of doing it. Yep. 
Um, and I, I hope, yeah, excellent, excellent job by him. I hope, I mean, at this point, anything's possible, but I wouldn't be angry if we saw, saw young Cassian in the, in the Han Solo movie. Like why? Why not? Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess that's possible. I wonder. I wonder if uh, I know the Felicity Jones had an option for a sequel, which I can't imagine huh. how they're going to figure that out. Huh. But, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, by the way, um, shouts, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, wait, before Forrest we do, Whitaker. Before oh, I, dude, we need another <laughs> podcast to talk about Forrest Whitaker. I just want to say, since we might forget to get to it otherwise, all the things that you can do wrong in a movie, full stop. All the things you can do wrong in a movie of this size and scale. They really stuck the landing. Like giving them their from here to eternity moment on the beach that actually was to eternity was really knock knocked me knocked me. Oh from yeah, me. I was going to talk about that with Felicity. That, I mean, like we can we can talk about the ending when we get to her. Okay, I just I was really surprised by it, and they and they got it. You know, they got it. Yeah, and they did this thing that uh, is really difficult to pull off in a lot of these movies, which is like it's not will they or won't they, but is there a spark there that's a little bit more than just camaraderie yeah. and it, it gets it sort of the way that I'm sure in, in a in a in combat or those kinds of intense situations mm-hmm. that the lines between how you feel about somebody get pretty mixed up although I, I know we're talking about Star Wars you know it's, <laughs> it's not that deep but it is deep because you never know if there had been a rogue two Cassian and and uh, Jin might have been brother sister and we just didn't know about <laughs> it you know Oops. Um, okay I want to talk about Forrest Whitaker for a second first yeah. of all Congratulations, Forrest Whitaker. Hell of a year for you. Big Arrival year. this. Um, a, a big year for Forrest Whitaker making non-traditional choices in his voice and accent yeah, work. Yeah, so that you could make the argument that there is the Disney version of this movie, there is the Gareth Edwards version of this mm-hmm. movie, there's the Tony Gilroy version of this movie, and then there is the Forrest Whitaker version <laughs> of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in the trailer... I, I think that they did a lot of work on this character because the Sagar character in the trailer, the one who says, what will you do if they catch you? What will you become if you continue to fight or whatever? Mm-hmm. That guy has no hair. So, and then in the movie, I think that there's there's well, a bunch of stuff of Saw training her yeah, because, as a child because to be, to, that got cut out. Because when he rescues her in the beginning, he has no hair. So he's he's younger. Right, and yes. the, those are from the younger scenes. And then for clearly... the rest of the movie, he got what the what was that guy? The Brazilian runner who who, who the mur- and murderer Osco Pistorius. He's got his, don't, don't, his legs. Don't put South Africa's shame on Brazil. Don't don't sorry, do that. No, don't do that sorry. to Brazil. Brazil um, Brazil's had a long year, you know. Like let... South African runner, and then uh, and then and then he's got the the hair, and he's got the Dennis Hopper blue velvet gas tank, as, or, or as you said, the Steve Martin from. That's a, that's a much less cool reference. Thank you for calling me out on that. And he's got like three packs a day. Yeah. Voice for some reason, and a little bit of like a weird accent. Like, what was the accent? I I don't know. I mean, he also just you wonder why he wasn't in the rest of the movie. It's because he he left it all on the floor, man. Like he didn't have any. <laughs> I mean, I literally think DeForest Whitaker had no performance left in him. He just didn't have any more. Nor did he yeah. have. Nor did his character make any sense. But you know, that's what that's the that's the burden that these. That these... Just a, in, the, in these first two post in these first two post Disney movies, there is just a lot of people showing up in rooms after years apart and being like, "You're you're back." Oh, yeah, he's you know, like, like he's like weird timing today of all days yeah, when right. everything showed up. <laughs> also, why why, why why does he want to die then? I just feel like weird choice then too. You know. 
Like, he so, was just like, I'm done fighting, but got, you, you must go on. He's got and a, you have like five seconds to do it. He's got, uh, a truth, he's got a truth monster that, by the way, um, your girl Helen from the Night Of really needed that in the same context on Razamed. <laughs> the Night Of would have been a two-episode miniseries when the, when, the, when the tentacled monster just grabs his head. It's just like, nah, he didn't do it. Check the financial advisor. Yeah. Um, so I thought Forrest Whitaker was a, you know, a, a, a nice bit of gravitas, but I have to admit was the part of the movie where I was like, do they know what they're doing at all? Or did this thing just get completely uh, you know, overmanaged to the point where they just blew up another planet? And that's a, that happened a lot in Force Awakens where they were just like, Starkiller base blows something up, and then another thing gets blown yeah. up, and then Starkiller base gets blown up. Um, I, so he was a sort of a low light for me, but it's hard to find any others, especially... Um, is it Alan Tudyk? Yeah, Alan Tudyk. Nice job, man. Good job by you. Hell of a way to make a living. Um, <laughs> but shouts, shouts to the the warriors of Jeddah. I mean, Donnie Yen and Jang Wen were dope. Like those dudes. Yes. The movie that they were in, like it's you know we're talking about how these things get chopped up and it's not the actor's fault and you know apparently it's not even the director or writers who are credited's fault. Often, those dudes kept it one thousand throughout the movie. Yeah. They their performance yeah. is tracked. You got it. You got their relationship. Even if we didn't know what their names were, we got it. And that gave their moment at the end real, real power and, and strength. They actually were able to sell very, pretty silly, very screenwritery things like, yeah. I just know you have the face of a killer. You know, yeah. it, things like that where you would just be like, come on, man. But Donnie Yen, you're like, yeah, that's he, right. He knows. He, he knows. He, he, you know, he, he brought a sensibility that is in his movies as well, like, which is that you can yeah. smile. And still be badass. Like you're allowed to have many, many reactions to things, which is not often the case. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about the star of the movie. Let's talk about. I mean, first of all, if you are a young British woman and you are not headlining a Star Wars movie in the next five years, fire your agent. Fire your agent. <laughs> you know, like this is this is this yeah. is what this is what you were put on earth to do at this point. Haley Atwell somewhere on the the, the set of Agent Carter. <laughs> just like. Damn. No, no one told her it was canceled either. She's just on, literally at Chesterfield. She's yeah. sitting on the set. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Felicity Jones. Does she have the range? Yeah, she just didn't have the part. You know, she was yes. fine. She, That's a good way of putting it. She she carried herself well. She sold it. You know, she did she did the thing that she had to do where she smolders and rebels and. You know, she had to have the father scene and she had to have the... I mean, it, it, that is not an easy part to play, especially when... She's got... It's the cool scene where she's got that the, the helmet with the visor and, like, she... You can tell just, like, she's very... It, it's like, it, her, by the end of that... By that point in the movie, her eyes are so distinctive... Yeah. Uh, ...that, like, they are, like, a movie star Yo, trait. Shouts, you know, shouts, like having just Tom Cruise's smile. Shouts to uh, Space Mascara, doing great work in this movie. Mm-hmm. Also, by yeah. the way, side note... I had no idea that space pens were so important. I didn't know there was a Mac store on Jetta. No, yeah, all the dudes in this movie, good or bad, had these outfits with the accessorized pen holders full of space pens. Yeah. How much writing yeah. are they doing in the Rebellion? Clearly a really, lot since they really don't have dope wireless. dope tunics in this movie. Dope but, tunics. What, what is... Whatever. Look, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to get lost in that stuff. Um, she was very good. It's, it's a shame that... You know, it, it's it's like many of these things. Like I, I imagine that early version of this movie was pitched as the story of this character because it is the beginning, middle, and end of this woman's journey, and it is not a happy journey. Um, but we need to know what she's doing and why. And the easiest way to give her a reason that audiences will understand and believe in in the least amount of screen time is make it daddy issues. Say someone in her family yeah. got hurt, and then you're done. Then you're out. Yeah. You under people can understand it and move on. And that's a bummer to me, only because. 
there's there's, a, there's something else there. There's an interesting character there. And we, as an audience, for almost 40 years now, we love scoundrels in this universe. You know, it, no yeah. duh they're making a Han Solo movie because that's all we've ever really wanted, whether it was Han Solo yeah, or not I Top think Line. That, I mean, I think that's why K2SO is so important in this movie because he actually is basically the Han character because Cassian is essentially the other side of, I mean, the yin and yang to Jin Orso, like in a way, like, I mean, cause she's, I think there's a version of this movie where she is basically like an out for herself rebel without a dad running away from a destiny of like really fighting for the rebellion because she has these complicated feelings about the rebellion because they're trying to destroy what is her father but the idea basically being that like they need somewhere to put the one-liners and they gave them all to a robot yeah they gave them all to a robot and it was a version of a robot that we hadn't seen in this world before one who kind of wanted to yeah. kick ass which is you know, right. that, that that's a change um yeah you know, it, it, it isn't it weird. I mean, we're we've been having this conversation. We're going to keep having this conversation, but it, it's it's very weird to talk about movies that are meant to be continuations of these cultural totems of our life, as if they're just the least worst version of them. You know, they were cobbled together. This is the version that is now canon, but we're talking about the potential of every moment and every scene and every performance, assuming rightly so that there are many many other options out there. You know it, that. The fact that the job is essentially now being compiler in chief, you know, you basically have to make the best possible mixtape of yeah. uh, of a movie. That's very strange. Now, I, people who actually work in film will probably jump in at this point and say, like, that's what movies have always been. You always have to compile yeah. the best out of the takes. But on such a on such a granular level of like, what's this character even going to be? Is this character even going to be in the movie? I mean, you, you mentioned in our last pod that that you had read that Riz Ahmed's character. He played a different character in the movie than he showed up Riz on set Ahmed to play. That. He was like, when I first got the role of of, of this role, it, the character had a different name and basically had no backstory. So they obviously, and I, you know, I, that might be that might be for purely storytelling purposes, or it might be because they were like, we need to give this guy. Like, we need to make this guy interesting because so many people die trying to get him out of jail. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the kind of thing you, you get paid the big bucks to think about. Um, yeah. Wh- one other note, just contextually, like, I, you know, I, I, I obviously just saw the movie, so this is fresh in my mind. But when I sat down, the trailers before the movie were big, dumb, and loud. And mm-hmm. one thing that, that the Kathleen Kennedy and the current um, uh, curators of the Star Wars legacy have managed to do, and I, I commend them for this, is that they have managed to hold on to some sense of wonder and elegance. That, that somehow this is still the classiest franchise. And I, that's going to fall apart probably inevitably one way or another because that's what's going to yeah, happen if they make the one forever. Yeah, the shot of the Jedi in the dust there, like the Jedi oh, statue that's... Exactly. You know, like that kind of stuff you don't... It, that, no other really... No other franchise really has that or pays that much deference to it. Yeah, and, and to, so before the movie, I mean, I saw this sort of best case, worst case scenarios, like the Spider-Man trailer is there. And who cares, man? Like, I, I'm yeah, man. I, just seriously, who cares? Like, I, I, I guess people who are really into tracking Robert Downey's facial hair. But was <laughs> was Tom was Tom Holland good in Civil War? Sure. But I, seriously, you can't even pretend like we we care about this. This does not matter. They're, you're going to make five more of them, and there's going to be more of them and more of them. There's no reason for it to exist other than to maintain the IP and whatever. Good on you. And then the flip side of that is the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, which 
only succeeds because they're like, we don't care either. Now, like, right. I'm excited for that movie because it's funny. James Gunn is a funny guy. He is deconstructing it. He's having fun with it. He managed to carve out this piece of this massive billion-dollar thing and basically does a piss take, and good for him. But it was nice to have a movie that, that was neither, that was neither um, dumb and pointless nor nihilistic and winky. You know, I, I think I think we should commend it for that. That even though we're we're criticizing all sorts of things from from space pens to just plot incoherence, the movie carried itself with some dignity. You know. Yeah, I think that, it, that we can leave it on this, which is basically obviously you and I have some generational affection, a lot, large amount for Star Wars, and so we're going to give it the benefit of the doubt anyway. But and we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, if these are going to be the primary works of Hollywood right now, that's why they, they warrant so much you know, attention and consideration. And I think that while they could do a better job of just really basic storytelling stuff, like just get William Goldman in there to fix this, you know, like before you guys start shooting things on five different Ireland planets, uh, just, just smooth out some of the rough edges. But if you're going to do it this way, I mean, like, I'm really all for it. Yeah, I wish, you know, obviously this is, this is the sort of thing that, I, that I, I'm going to say, but I, because this is yesterday's battle, and I mean that literally, like this is a story, they're filling in gaps in a story that's 40 years old. Um, I wish that, and, and, and we're, we exist in the world, this was never going to happen from Disney, but I wish they cared more about the politics of it, thought about it a little bit, Considered, right, right. considered pitching it for a modern sensibility. It's interesting to see readings on that because there's been a lot coming out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just, you know, it would be interesting to see, um, you know, a movie like this pitched in a world where, okay, well, who are insurgents? Who are rebels? What does an empire mean? What does it look like? You know, and this movie had... Yeah, Jason wrote a really good piece today for The Ringer about how, you know, uh, the, the difference between a rebellion and an insurgency is right. really a matter of perspective, you know? Totally. And this movie was ready to maybe pick at that scab, but really wasn't able to ultimately. And, I mean, let's also just talk about the mass death. Like, this movie, people died in this movie, and I was really surprised by that, and I was moved by it in ways that surprised me as well. But, you know, you can you can, you can can fall back on one of George Lucas's most brilliant things, which is if you make them stormtroopers, they look like robots, and you can kill tons of them and nobody cares. Because uh, yeah. they're faceless. That was very smart. And we certainly saw that continue in this movie. But tons of people died. Tons of people. And you also actually, and this is one of the cool things that Force Awakens does is that when John Boyega takes his helmet off, yes. all of a sudden the stormtroopers become real. That, and yes. you actually heard their voices a bunch in this movie. So I think that it, it, they are. They are doing something interesting with the idea of, okay, we have this universe. How do we keep playing by the rules that we set up? How do we keep, yeah. you know, finding resonance in something from a previous film in the next film? And that, that's really all you can ask from these kinds of movies. So before we, before we sign off, you, you teased this piece that, that the guys wrote on The Ringer about other pieces of stray Star Wars IP. Yeah, yeah. Can, can you toss one or two out there so we can, we can yay or nay them? Just because people should go read well, the piece. Well, my favorite one probably was uh, what happened, you know, because... Luke in the beginning of A New Hope is like, I was going to go to Tashi to get the power converters. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and Jason talks about the uh, effect the Empire and the Rebellion have on small businesses. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. That's, that, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, like, you, you know, the, 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 you can see them in there. They're very much like that. What What's going on at Moss Eisley? You know, like what happens at Moss Eisley what if, after the shootout? <laughs> what, what about like a, an American tale style cartoon, like a, womps, a womp rat's life? You know what I mean? Where it's just like... <laughs> 
<laughs> that would end pretty fast when Wedge hits it from like three miles away. Yeah, I'm saying it's not a long film. Maybe it's more of like a web webisode. But there's yeah, there, there's, okay. there's there's definitely something there. I mean, if you want, to, you imagine the small business films like Galen Urso's It's like I'm going to be a farmer. It's like cool bet. Like, and you left your smoothies just on the table. That was the most heartbreaking moment for me. But what what was he farming? You, and dude, who, and who, is, who is he farming for? Like, were they yeah, just, there was nobody there. Were they it just was just like self-sufficient. Sustenance I guess. farming, I guess, and just growing ponytails. Yeah. Like that that that's kind of a cool life, I guess. He's like I'm making Odwalla drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I just read about the Odwalla dude. That, that's, yeah, that, that guy. That, that dude, that dude, that had a, a sad ending in the '90s, but he's back. He's making nut milks. You know, I know. like if this, Chris, if this, may we all be so lucky. Listen, Chris, maybe this is. I know we have one more podcast coming uh, next week that we've already recorded, but like if this podcasting gig doesn't work for us in '17, or the world keeps going like it's going, we can always fall back on nut milk. Like that is a yeah, good thing. Yeah, I think there's a huge market for it. There's a huge market for nut milk, and it's only going to expand in 17. Especially on planet Ireland. <laughs> yeah, seriously, it'd be a lot healthier than the swamp grass they're growing. Okay, man. Um, it was great talking to you, uh, and I'm, I'm really glad you got a chance to see this. And uh, I'll, I'll catch you at the Tauntaun Barbecue. Happy holidays. May the force be with you, Bretsky. Thanks again to Capital One's CreditWise app for sponsoring the watch today. Capital One created the CreditWise app so you can check your credit score anytime you want right in the app. It is free to everyone. So download CreditWise today. Disclaimer, availability depends on presence of credit history from TransUnion. CreditWise is offered by Capital One Bank USA. Thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring our podcast today. You remember Sonos, it's the smart speaker system. It streams all your favorite music to any room or every room, and you can control your music with one simple app that brings together all your favorite music services and lets you control everything, from songs to volume to what room you're playing it in. Play a different song in any room in your house or your apartment. I don't want to judge. Add your existing music services or discover something new with Sonos.